listening to the Simply 127 podcast, an entire podcast devoted to all things James 127. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Fintress, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth with the Simply 127 podcast. Today's podcast guest is Rose Bagusu. And the last episode was her speech that she gave at the gala in December. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you might want to just push pause, go back and listen, and then you'll be queued up for this next episode that I'm introducing now. Rose and I met in 2007, and God has just given us a blessing of not only being able to do ministry together, but just having a friendship and a true sisterhood in Christ and just to walk alongside of each other in life's journey. So I know you're going to be blessed as you listen to this conversation, as you learn more about Rose's story, and you just hear what God has been able to do through the obedience and the faith of Rose. So here's our conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for coming on the show today, Rose. Thank you. Uh, Rose has spent the last week with me. I'm going to talk a little bit about the reason that she came to the U.S. um, recently, but also just want to introduce um, her to you. She's one of uh, the local leaders for 127. And um, Rose, can you just tell us a little bit about maybe your childhood and how God first started um, stirring your heart to care for the vulnerable? Thank you, Sarah Beth. Um. I was born in Western Kenya in a family of six, and I am the youngest of six. And uh, my parents were peasant farmers. Uh, They depended on farming, and uh, whatever they were earning from farming could not feed us, could not take us to school. But uh, I thank God all my siblings, they went through primary school. But it was not easy for them to join high school because my parents were not able. And when my turn came for me to join high school, it was still the same thing. It was not easy for me. And um, my sister, one of my sisters, carried the cross and said, Rose, I'm not earning a lot, but I think I can help you. Just join a day school and we see if I can be able. And that is how I was able to join high school. Uh, This burden came into my heart, or this calling, let me call it a calling, came into my heart when I saw my friends whom we schooled together, worked together in the farms. They were still working in the farms. They could not join high school because they didn't have anyone to help them. And that is when I felt that my sister paying for my high school fees was a gift from God. And I, that is how I valued. And that is how this calling came into me. That someday I will go back to the rural areas and enable the needy to go to high school. Great. Um, can you talk a little bit about the rural areas of Kenya versus the city? For those of us who might not know or might have never been, why is it so hard for kids in the rural areas 
to be able to be educated and to break the cycle of poverty? Actually, in the rural areas, we where I live or where I was born is about 11 to 12 hours drive from the capital city. And in rural areas, infrastructure is not very well. And uh, there's no electricity. Roads are not passable. And so these other organizations that help uh, the needy or help the poor, sometimes it's hard for them to get into the rural areas. And so, and those people who get to uh, go to school in the rural areas, they always go to the city to look for jobs. So people who remain in the rural areas, actually people who are not able and uh, who maybe have no good education, and it becomes so hard for them to be helped. So um, you went to the city for school, mm-hmm. and then talk a little bit about your transitions. I feel like a lot of people would just leave the rural areas and stay in the city and live comfortably. So um, talk about how God began to transition you and give you a heart to go back to your home. Um, when I got to the city of Nairobi, I mean, it was like an eye-opener. I saw things that I had never seen since I was born in the rural areas. Uh, Everything was different. Um, And even in the rural areas, um, I grew up without even a flip-flop. And uh, when I came to the city, I was told you cannot walk outside without flip-flops. So I had an opportunity to to, to at least wear a flip-flop. And, and how uh, old were you when you wore your first pair of shoes that were I, your own? I was 13. <laughs> 13. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was different. And when I joined school, it was a day school. Um, so I would go to school and uh, come back home to my sister's house. And we. the difference that I saw, we had um, students from the slums. But they, they were supported. They, some were telling me that they had sponsors. And I was like, what is sponsor? And they were coming to school. They had shoes. They had socks. They had good bags. But when I looked back in the um, rural areas, I mean, there was nothing like that. I used to go to school bare feet. I didn't know anything about flip-flops, even socks. I didn't know anything to do with a, a, ba- a school bag. I used to carry my, my books in a polythene paper. I mean, like and a grocery I, uh, bag. Yes. So um, that actually opened my eyes. And that is why my heart cried for rural areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God was giving you a heart and growing yes. a heart for you to go back. Yeah, especially and things changed um, when I accepted Christ. I saw things in a different perspective, you know, reading the word and seeing the reality, what is happening. I had really a calling to go back to the yes. rural areas. So talk to us a little bit about that. When you knew God was asking you to go back to the rural areas to start a school, um, I'm sure when you started telling people about it, this little lady starting a school in the in Western Kenya is, um, I'm sure that was kind of hard for them to comprehend what was happening. Uh yeah, when I felt that the time had come for me to start um, serving God in this way, I went back to the rural areas and I invited some people, 
teachers, uh, pastors. I also invited even uh, my chief, <laughs> and I I told them about uh, my my calling or my vision rather. And I told them I feel God is calling me to come here and start a school, and this school um, will um, give quality education to the orphans and uh, the vulnerable. And I told them why I invited them because there were people uh, who were at least earning some money in the community because they are teachers, they are pastors, at least they have something. It, the reason was at least they bring their children to this school so that they can pay some money and to enable the orphans and the vulnerable to have free education. So, and they asked me, Rose, you want to uh, come up with this school? Who are your donors? And then I was like, oh, I didn't know they would come up with that question. But I told them, I think I am the donor. <laughs> I have the vision and I have God, but I don't have donors. Immediately I said that their eyes, their faces changed because they were exactly, they thought I, there were people behind me, but actually I, it was just me. And I think God was, I don't know if he was in front or behind me, <laughs> but those are the two things that I had. So You had God and a vision yes. and a very little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, working as a secretary, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so talk about the beginning days of Tumaini. Um, you well, actually, I, I didn't actually get you to explain what is Tumaini, the name, what it means, and and why you decided to name the project Tumaini. Um, Tumaini is a Swahili word which means hope. And um, I looked at it and I was like, I think whatever we are doing, we are restoring the hope that had gotten lost in the lives of these children. Uh, and then I was like, I cannot just say Tumaini. And when I did this uh, name search with the government, there were so many Tumainis because I think it's a good name. And I was like uh, wondering, what, what do I do? And I added miles of smiles. And I thought, you have to go miles to smile. And smiling means the hope has been restored. To miney miles of smiles. Yes. I like it. So you started the school, and then it wasn't really your plan to start a, a children's home. So tell a, the quick story of how you decided to start the children's home. Yeah. Actually, the children's home was um, was actually not in the, the initial plans. Uh, but then uh, when I started the school, I went back home. I was on leave. So I wanted to get to know the children and just oversee and also get uh, feedback from the villagers. Uh, but um, my three weeks at home, um, my second week, there's a girl who was in school. But this girl, uh, the stepmother came to school and um, told me that the girl had not spent her night at home and I I was shocked but then I didn't want to get onto that immediately because the children were in the class so I requested this lady to go back home um, and I will take the uh, up the matter in the evening I had to follow this girl when we were going home and uh, I realized that this girl just a hundred meters from where we were she didn't want to go home. She diverted to a sugarcane plantation. 
So I had to go after her. And then when I got her, I asked her why she didn't want to go home. Um, she cried and I, I couldn't even control her. But then she couldn't even speak because she was crying bitterly. But then she just um, showed me some bruises. And when I saw the bruises, I got shocked. So I had to talk to her nicely. We went to my house and I asked him, wh I asked her why. And she told me that those are bruises from beatings and the, the stepmother. And I was like, why? So the next morning I went to the stepmother. We couldn't agree. I went to the um, officials or the elders. I talked to them. And when I went to school, everyone was laughing at me because that was not the only case at the school. And I was like, oh, no. What can I do? I cannot have children at the school. And then in the evening, they're in these sugarcane plantations. They, she was actually sleeping in the sugarcane field. Yes, just because she had not attended to some chores at home. And she feared if she goes back, she'll be beaten. She was afraid. Mm -hmm. So so you found out other kids in the school were in similar situations. Six of them. And that prompted me to have a children's home. So I started the plans immediately. You've heard a little bit about Rose's beginning, Tumaini's beginning, and how God began to stir in Rose's heart at a young age, giving her a passion for vulnerable children living in the rural areas of Western Kenya. Let's take a few minutes to listen to what Tumaini looks like today and how the students are thriving. And finally, we'll end our conversation with how Tumaini is working with the Kenyan government to place children in Kenyan families. That's something that we're really excited about. So tell us a little bit, what does Tumaini look like today? Because this was in, what, 2006? Mm -hmm. So 13 years later. Wow. I think we have a faithful God. And he says that he's a, a father to the fatherless. And Psalm 72 says that uh, the blood of um, the vulnerable, all the needy, is precious in his eyes. It is true. Because he has been faithful in everything that we've, been, we've done at Tumaini. And now we have um, 600 children who have actually enrolled in our school. And uh, for now, we have 45 who are in the children's home, uh, uh, although we are working for transition. And um, we have 250 now in our primary school. So God has been very faithful. The first group that um, we started with, they are now in their third year of university. And some are in different colleges. So I've seen God at work. Um, so can you tell us, Rose, how many kids have gone from, they finished eighth grade at Tumaini, then how many have gone on to high school from there? And then I think now we have a, a growing number of people who've even graduated from high school. So can you give us a few of the numbers? I think you had said 600 people have been enrolled mm -hmm. total. And then what are some other um, numbers just to kind of give us an idea? Um, we have 169 who actually have gone through high school. Wow. Yeah. And most of our children um, who go through um, to Maini Primary School, they have always completed their high school. So 100%. 100%. Yes. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, and then you had mentioned about the... Um, Kids, children living in the children's home. Mm -hmm. So in my line of work um, with American orphan care nonprofits, um, 
obviously the we believe that the best place for a child to grow is in a two parent household, which honestly, in America, that doesn't happen the majority (laughs) of the time. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the transition you've seen in orphan care, particularly in Kenya, and the idea of of you transitioning children from the home into families, um, not rushing the process, but as God opens doors and as people come in, talk a little bit about the last few years and the change that you've seen. Um, Actually, with the children's home, um, I think there's change everywhere, and um, also our country is trying to embrace the changes, um, whereby um, we we feel that children are supposed to be in families. And um, Tumaini is part of that, and we embrace that. Um, although we've always made sure that our children are loved and they're actually getting that love, that family love, uh, because that is what they need. Um, but for the last um, two years, uh, I may say, because uh, we receive babies, that is the abandoned children. And uh, when I started receiving these children, I was wondering how I would, I would go about it. And like in, in Kenya, for a man, uh, you must have learned. Um, that is like an inheritance. So I'm like, I'm having all these boys, but my, many children who are abandoned are boys. I don't know why that is so. But uh, And then you're expected to make sure they have land. They have land because that is the most important. That is what we call inheritance. And I was wondering, where will I get all the land to give to these boys? Uh, but... Um, uh, for the last two years, I partnered with an adoption agency, and uh, I've given most of the children uh, for adoption. And uh, most of the children, uh, before I gave them uh, for adoption, they were older. Most of them are, were five years, they were six, and we had bonded. Like, they knew I was their mother, and I felt that I was their mother. They were my children. We had bonded to death. It was so hard for me to give them away, but I gave them anyway, and I followed up. They are very happy they, because they also know me. They even ask their parents to call, and, and, and to call me, and we, they always ask me about the other children and how we are doing. So They want to that, check up on Mama Rose. That really blesses <laughs> my heart. And so I've seen um, success in that, and I'm happy for them and uh, just seeing them, you know, enjoying their, their parental love. And uh, we have other children that are orphans. Uh, some of them were staying um, with their uncles, with their aunties, but some of them were abused. But we are, what we are trying to do, we are trying to reconcile uh, these children with their relatives. And so it has really worked so well. Uh, the bonding is going on. And um, I feel the ones that we've, um, we've uh, already placed in families or back to their families are going on very well. We only have them for three months for, of school and then they go back to their guardians. Great. And then talk a little bit about would the idea be for Chimani to kind of be a transition for emergency situations or babies come in, but it is more for a short term period in the future. That is what we are working um, on. Uh, like 
over Christmas, we used to have like 60 children with us, you know, and you are like, oh, we used to cook the whole night <laughs> for celebration. But this year, we only have nine. So that is, <laughs> I think we've done a lot. We, we will only cook for nine children. So you're taking steps in I the think, right direction. Yeah, I think what we are doing uh, can be seen. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so 127 works with local leaders who have a ministry like yourself. So I want, I want to hear from the local leader perspective, what do you like about the way 127 partners with you and enables you to do your job? Like how has that been a good partnership for Tumaini? Um, I think um, our partnership with 127 has really um, given us uh, an opportunity to work um, or to execute whatever we are doing easily because we we share our cultures, we share our faith and everything and even um, our traditions because we, we work in the community. And so 127 just comes alongside us. They ask us the needs. They come visit. They we take them round. They see, and they also have that opportunity to even share with the villagers and find out actually if what we are saying is true. <laughs> and so uh, they understand better our culture. They understand how we do things, and they come alongside us. They don't bring the American culture to us because we might not handle that. <laughs> so it's good. They respect our um, culture. They respect our faith. What they want to do is just to help us um, for people to know um, God's faithfulness and also to break the circle of poverty for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I know I met you in 2007 and I feel like after coming to Tumaini, I was ready to move to Kenya, help all the orphans that I possibly could, learn the language. And <laughs> not that those aren't sometimes good ideas, but why do you feel like that would not be the best option for our partnership? how it's better for me to stay in America and be a voice for you and it's better for you to run I to my I think for now that works better because if we can all be in Kenya, then we won't get the support that we are getting. But uh, you being here and uh, being a voice, talking on our behalf, sharing on our behalf, uh, creating awareness and uh, updating people on what is happening at Tumaini, updating people on what is going on and where the children are and how they have even performed in the exams. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So talk a little bit about the team that came to you this summer and the difference that that made in you being able to minister to the community, to your teachers. Um, give some examples of how that was a benefit to your ministry. I think this was a different year uh, <laughs> uh, because um, when we started Tumaini, we were actually working with the in the community and we had an opportunity to be with the community. But for the last few years, we've been like, we kind of condensed just us and the children, education and, you know, and the home. Uh, but this year was different because we went back to the community members. And the community members 
actually felt that they um, they were remembered in a way and they feel that they own what we are doing and that Tumaini is part and parcel of that community so um, just going and visiting the widows uh, going into their houses even their bedrooms to put that mattress either on the floor or on the bed was just fabulous <laughs> I mean unbelievable they felt like oh okay now to many people have stepped in my house and not even the sitting room but a bedroom and not even just seeing the bedroom but putting a mattress on my bed and actually some of them didn't have beds we were putting that mattress on the floor and a blanket but at least they were happy they will at least have a mattress. It was fabulous. I love that they weren't thinking of the white people as the heroes or even as you as the hero. They were saying, God has used you to yes. answer my prayers. Yes. I love that. Yeah, that is what they saw. And uh, I mean, that has like changed their perspective. And they look at Tumaini in a different perspective. And that actually encourages me because it is good when you you are serving God, uh, the people you are serving, because you are serving God, but, you know, those people are God. So um, they have to own what you are doing. If they don't, they feel that you are just doing it. I don't think um, go, even God will be happy with that. So it's good that uh, the team that visited this time enabled us to go into the community and visit people. It was good for them. It was good for us. Great. Yes. So talk a little bit about if someone's listening to this podcast, maybe they're just starting to think about how they can be involved in orphan care. What are some things you would say to them to encourage and challenge them to take action and to care for the vulnerable in some way? Yeah, um, I think... Um, what I can say, especially now mm, we are celebrating um, the birth of Jesus and there are times when we actually needed Christ. Without him, I don't know where we would be. There's that child who is like, I don't know where I am. They are lost the way we were lost. But now Christ came and founded us. There's a child somewhere who is lost. The hope is lost. The life is lost. And I think Christ has us as his ambassadors. And ambassador always advocates on behalf of the countries. We, are, we have to advocate on behalf of Christ who died for us. So there are so many ways you can be involved. You can get involved in Tumaini or partnering with 127. You'll be helping Tumaini to restore hope to that child who is hopeless, who is lost. He doesn't know if he will eat. He doesn't know if he will ever go to school, if he will even ever sleep on a mattress. So they are lost and we are here as ambassadors of Christ to find them and give them hope. That's great. And what is one thing that God has taught you in the last few years through this journey? Um, just something to encourage us as we wrap it up. Uh, actually, <laughs> what I've discovered is God will never call us uh, to serve him on a silver plate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, what I mean is 
uh, as we serve God, as we restore hope, I mean, there are so many challenges that we have to go through. It's about selflessness. Yeah, you must be selfless. You must give what you value. All of us, we value time. Sacrificially. You have to give that time. What you value is what you are supposed to give. But if you give the remnants, I don't think you can make it. He's not asking God. for our leftovers. No. <laughs> yeah. But the reward is great for what he's called you to do as yeah, well. Yeah, but what I can encourage each and everyone, God is faithful. Yes. That's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rose. Uh, it's always a pleasure to hear how God's working in your life. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity. Check out our show notes at 127worldwide.org forward slash simply 127 podcast. And tune in next time to learn how others tangibly live out James 127 every day. Mm-hmm.